guys are in for a treat. This sermon is many, many pages long. This is going to be awesome. So we're in Hebrews chapter 12. And we're going to be looking specifically at 25 through 29. But we will um, back up to verse 18 to, to have our context. So let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you speak through it. It's living. It's active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It's not a dead word. It's not a book that you could read and memorize and walk away from it and never think on it again. It's a, it's a book that we're to go to, that we're to, to live with, that we're to indeed carry in our minds and our hearts, that we're to bring it to mind, that we're to say, how does this apply to me? What does this tell me about my God? What does this tell me about me and my condition and how I'm to interact with the world? How am I to handle the problems I have? How am I to handle the blessings I have? Who, who would you have me to be? And how can we move forward? So Lord, we thank you that this time is a means of grace. It is the public preaching proclamation of the gospel through your word. And you use this as one of the primary means of pulling people closer to yourself. So help us not to be those who forsake the assembling of ourselves together as it gets to be a habit, but that we would indeed encourage, exhort one another and all the more as we see the day approaching. So be with the preaching of your word. We pray you give us attentive ears and hearts and we pray this in Jesus' name, amen. So Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 18. The word of the Lord. For you have not come to what may be touched, a blazing fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest and a sound of a trumpet and a voice whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them. For they could not endure the order that was given. If even a beast touches the mountain, it shall be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enthroned in heaven, enrolled in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking, for if they did not escape when they refused him who warned them on earth, much less will we escape if we reject him who warns from heaven. At that time his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. This phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of things that are shaken. That is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. The word of the Lord. So just first to note that the quote in verse 26, yet once more I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens, um, is from um, Haggai. And, and the prophet is speaking to people who have returned from exile. They are um, supposed to be rebuilding a temple, and they're not. And 
So the prophet is saying, I'm going to encourage you to do this because our God is a consuming fire, which comes from Deuteronomy, and we're going to look at that in a bit. But this was given to the Old Testament church in order who had come out of exile and who saw destruction around them, who saw uh, the glory that had left the temple, the former uh, Old Testament times seemed much greater than then, and they were rebuilding things that were lost, and he's reminding them that um, he is a God who will one day shake all things and all things will be removed, that he is the God of all power and glory. And then the writer of Hebrews is now speaking to this small church of Jewish believers who are in exile from their church, their synagogues, and also the government is against them. And they are small, and they say, you know, what can we do if we're so small? Um, they've had property plundered. Everything seems to go against them. Surely they can't be on God's side. And he says to them, remember what it was like for them and the promise that was given to them. And then the author of Hebrews says, and it's being applied to you now. And so we're going to look at what does that mean for us. So as we begin in verse 25, he speaks and says, See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. So you kind of have to ask the question first, all right, who is speaking? And to find that out, you can just back up a little bit. And if you look at verse 24, it says, Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks, a better word than the blood of Abel, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking. And so he's definitely setting up this idea that you need to see the difference between the blood of Abel and the blood of Jesus. The blood of Abel, as we're told in Genesis, God said, you know, Cain killed his brother Abel, and he says to Cain, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. And what was it? crying out for <clears throat> it was crying out for justice and now the blood of the covenant the sprinkled blood this is Jesus that is speaking and his blood cries out from the heavens and it doesn't cry out for justice because that was where justice was delivered even for what happened to Abel, although Cain himself will still have to pay for his own sin because there is no sacrifice for him because he had not faith. But as his brother's blood cried out for the ground for justice, from the ground for justice, Jesus' blood cries out for the heavens, forgive them, for, cries out for grace. That was the purpose of the blood of Christ. And so the author says here, do not refuse Reject him who is speaking. Jesus is the one who is speaking a better word. The one who literally moved heaven and earth for our salvation. And Hebrews has gone to a great extent to make sure we understand he is superior to the angels. He is superior to Moses. All the things in the, in the Jewish faith that they said were the most glorious things of the faith, Jesus is greater. And it's he who is speaking, God's own son. To which of the angels did God ever say, this is my only begotten son, in him I am well pleased, from Hebrews. And he's speaking. And since this is he who is speaking, we're told, do not refuse him. It can be translated, do not reject him. Do not ignore him. So how do we do that? How do we refuse 
Christ. And first is by not believing in him. And you might say, well, I, I believe. But it can also be by not listening to what he says. And you might say, well, I listen to what he says. And you would say, well, you know, by not obeying him, by not doing what he says. And then we would say, well, you know, it's gracious. That's why I came to him anyway, so I'd be forgiven of my sins. He will continue to forgive my sins. I, I know he exists. I listen to him. I, I obey him, you know. So what was happening to this church the writer of Hebrews is talking to, the Holy Spirit is saying to the church, is don't refuse him. Don't do this. And why would he have to say such a thing as that? And it's because that times were tough. Times are very difficult for that church. And the church will go through very difficult times. It's actually the times when there's not much difficulty when the church needs to be most on its guard. But through difficult times, and it's very interesting in the Hebrews, there's a lot of comfort, but there's also a lot of warning. So we have to be careful in the way we exhort other people, the way we read scripture, if we're straying into sin, if we're straying into lack of faith, if we're straying away from the church, if we're doing these things, um, sometimes we need to hear the warnings. It's a way that God provides the assurance of salvation for those who believe. So it does a couple of things. It, it hardens people in their unbelief. And this is what the Bible says. It will do this. It will harden people in their unbelief. You know if you have a child or an employee or anybody who just doesn't want to do something, all you got to do to really make them mad is tell them to do something. You know, don't touch the red button over there. It doesn't do anything, but just don't touch it. You can't tell me what to do. Red button, red button, red button, red button. And that's us. But the other thing that it does is people who are straying from him, who are his children, who aren't really rejecting, but they are in some mode of prodigal sonship, and then they're told, you know, hey, it's okay, don't worry about this, God loves you. It's like, okay, we think if we can lavish love on people enough, that will be what they need. And it's like, and that can be true, and wisdom dictates the way we talk to people. But sometimes, and I think the church has strayed too much from this, sometimes, well, I even had to say whether the church is strayed from it. The Holy Spirit says, apparently, obviously, from the letter of Hebrews and other places in the Bible, there are times when we must be told, don't refuse him who is speaking. Don't reject him who is speaking by not believing in him, by not listening to him, by not obeying him. Uh, if even uh, Matthew 28. So if you want to turn with me to Matthew 28, it's the Great Commission, 18 through 20. And, you know, that passage where Jesus is talking to them at the end of Matthew, he's leaving his disciples, and he's saying, this is the commission, this is the job I give you to do, this is what I'm telling you to do. He says first, and this is going to be important for the rest of the sermon too, all authority in heaven and on earth. Okay, So he doesn't just have authority in heaven. He also has authority on earth. He has this authority now. This isn't some future time when Jesus is going to come and reign on the earth and have authority over the earth. He has authority in heaven and on earth. He has that authority now. And he says, since I have this authority, you're going to make disciples of all nations. And what is a disciple? It is a follower. It is a person who listens to 
and follows the teachings of another. So he's saying, make disciples. Make people who listen to me and follow me and do the things that I say do. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I have suggested that you do. And it doesn't say that. It says, all that I have commanded you. So Jesus commands. And he has authority on heaven and on earth. And so we're to listen to him. Do not refuse him. Do not reject him. I know that we came from a culture that had at times been judgmental, harsh, legalistic, traditionalistic, and all these things. But it could be just as bad to come out of the hippie generation that all they ever want to talk about is kumbaya and love all the time. And there's no rules. There's no nothing. And so, you know, you'll get people that are out there that came out of, you know, harshness and strictness, and now they're adults, and they got to, you know, deal with their childhood stuff. But, you know, we're, we think as adults when we're adults. We put away childish things. And there are people who dealt with absolutely um, libertinism. There's no rules, no nothing. It's just always, you know, do what you want. Whatever you feel, that's good. You know, I can't give you any rules because that would make you feel like I don't love you. So both of these are not good, and so we find ourselves, you know, oftentimes, like, <laughs> how do we do this right then? And you let the Word of God be your guide, and the Word of God says you are gentle to those who are weak, and you can be harsh to those who are strong. It depends on where the person is. So you got a pastor that's preached to a whole bunch of different kind of messed up people. And so what do you do? You do what the Word of God says to do. It speaks equally to all people. He just says, don't refuse him who is speaking. Now we know this person who is speaking is Jesus Christ. His blood, the sprinkled blood that cries out a better word, speaks a better word than Abel. But we need to notice this. What it says here, find my place, 25, Hebrews 12. See that you do not refuse him who is speaking. It isn't see that you don't refuse him who spoke. See that you don't refuse him who will speak. It's do not refuse him who is speaking now. So Jesus Christ, the sprinkled blood of Christ, even, the spirit of Christ is speaking, is speaking. He's not just speaking to you who are hearing. He's speaking to the entire world. The heavens pour forth speech. Those who reject Christ and God are simply suppressing the knowledge of God in their sin. Not that they can't know him. It's that they refuse to know him. And he says to us, to his church, don't you do that. Don't you do that. Don't allow whatever it is in your life that's pulling you away from Christ to allow yourself to be pulled away from Christ. Don't refuse him who is speaking. And this is good news. We live in a world where we look around and we think, oh, what has happened? And so we take to Twitter or we take to Facebook or Instagram or whatever the public arena is that we do, or bullhorns or whatever it is. And so we must speak. And what must we speak? Well, you have to speak what the church is supposed to be speaking. But we also have to be aware that he still speaks. The Holy Spirit is 
at work. We don't have to live in a way either as God's defender or he's over there sleeping. We have to do something to wake him up. God is at work. We join him in what he's doing. And what he's doing is, first of all, telling the church, get your act in order, and then you can figure out how to be active in the world. But too many people want to do world, and they don't do this, and they're products of the world. And they don't see it because they're Christian. This is where you have to go. This is where you have to be. This is where we get our orders. And don't refuse him who is speaking. He's not through with us. He still calls out to us. He is still calling out to the world. He is still gathering his elect from the four corners of the earth. Get in on the mission. If you're in the military and your unit is out on a mission and you go out there on the mission, well, that was a thing not too long ago where somebody was on guard duty and they just sort of wandered off. <laughs> They're supposed to be pretty... What are you doing? You know, that's us. You know, guys, there's a commission. There's a thing we're supposed to be doing. And, um, but we get called up in civilian affairs. We're called up in something else. Now, God doesn't say abandon your job, abandon your family, abandon these things. What he says is dig into them with the gospel. He doesn't say abandon politics particularly when we live in a form of government that requests our involvement and indeed depends upon our involvement, then our involvement in politics, in government, is an act of worship. And if God were to come back and say, this is how you're doing, what would he say? Do not take my name in vain. That's not what I would say. So make sure, and he might would say, that's not how I would vote, which is really quite the thing when you see a political ad or somebody saying, you know, who would Jesus vote for? <laughs> we are the elect. He chose us. He doesn't vote. He is king. He is king of kings and lord of lords. He isn't one that's going to come down and say, vote. He is the one who says, bend the knee to me, kiss the son lest you die. He demands total allegiance to himself. And the Bible talks about how we're to relate to governors, how we relate to those in leadership, how we relate to all sorts of people. But it will also always be to be done in a Christ-like, faithful manner. Always. And so how is he speaking? He speaks, you know, through creation. But he also has, we call that natural revelation. But special revelation is where God has actually spoken words. He has actually said things. So you have the Bible. You have by his spirit speaking to your heart through his word. The weekly public preaching of the word of God. Baptism, Lord's Supper. These things God has instituted in the world to say you want, to have, you want to know what I'm doing? Listen. Be in the briefing. <laughs> Make sure you're listening in the conversation. It's like, you know, that made me think of the press secretary that comes out and, the, and everybody's asking the press secretary, what does the president think? And then she says, this, 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 this. Well, that's kind of our job there. And if the press secretary hasn't talked to the president about something, 
And she starts to answer, or he answers a question from the press and says, well, the president thinks this and that. And the president's back there going, what? She's going to get chewed out. She might not be the representative anymore. So we must make sure that when the world is interrogating us and we are speaking and acting and doing things on behalf of God, on behalf of Christ, that Jesus isn't up there just shaking his head and going, I never said that. That's not what I said. That's not how I am. So the only way to do that is to thoroughly be um, in his word, involved in his worship, with his people, in prayer, participating in all these ways and the means of grace that he has given us. And he also speaks to others, as I've just said, through us. So look what Hebrews says. Hebrews chapter 1, the very beginning, Hebrews 1, 1. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he also created the world. So he speaks by his Son, and now we're even told he is still speaking. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 3, Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, in other words, bad things were paid for rightly, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who have heard. How shall we escape if we neglect, do not refuse him who is speaking? Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. For if we go on sinning deliberately after having receiving the knowledge of the truth, there no longer remains a sacrifice for sins, but a fearful expectation of judgment and a fury of fire that will consume the adversaries. Anyone who has set aside the law of Moses dies without mercy on the evidence of two or three witnesses. How much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has spurned the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has outraged the spirit of grace? For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, and again the Lord will judge his people. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. We have been taught not to preach like that. That is called, what, fire and brimstone preaching. Uh -uh. That is not what we're to do. 
Why? I think one, it's been abused. It can, you can do that without the preaching of grace beside it. But you can also preach grace without the hell beside it. And therefore, grace, not quite so graceful. Gracious, graceful, not so whatever. It's not, what is grace? What is forgiveness? Why do you care about it? You weren't going to get punished anyway. What am I escaping? We know Jesus. So what he does, the author, the Holy Spirit is doing here in Hebrews is saying, okay, and I want you to refuse him who's speaking. And I want you to know something before he gets into this, this so what part too. He says, you need to understand something. And you have to kind of put yourself in the place of that church too, that there is Rome, a superpower, has decided that, you know, we're not accepting your church as legal, so we will deplatform you in lots of ways. And the church, the accepted, one of the accepted legal religions of Rome, the Judaism, the Jewish synagogues were like, ooh, you guys are her- heretical, and what we will do is kick you out, and you, you have no, we don't have anything to do with you. You lost your family, you lost your friends, you've lost your standing in the community, you've lost legal protections. Okay, um, I see us headed that way. I think we need to be listening to the book of Hebrews to say, all right, how are, we, how are we to respond? What are we supposed to do? Regardless of how the culture is moving, how are we supposed to move forward? And what he tells us now, he says, you've received an unshakable kingdom. So, If you look at verse 27 in Hebrews 12, he talks about this phrase, he's exegeting Haggai, and he says, yet once more indicates the removal of things that are shaken, that is, things that have been made in order that the things that cannot be shaken may remain. It's like, what? Okay, so he's just got through talking about the two mountains, and he's talking about the difference between Christian church and the Jewish church, and he's saying this is the Messiah, this is the true religion, Those who are not turning to Christ are the heretics, and that kingdom is being removed. This Old Testament time of the sacrifices and all these uh, laws and regulations, that's been shaken, and it's being removed, and now the kingdom of my beloved son, the kingdom of grace, the kingdom of heaven, that's where you are, and you have received it. You didn't earn it. You didn't fight for it. You didn't build it. You received it. By grace, you have received an unshakable kingdom. This is the encouragement. You've received an unshakable kingdom. The kingdom you are in. What's a kingdom? Ruled by a king. What are we then? Subjects. But we're brothers. We've been adopted into in the, our, our father's family. We have great standing. We're actually hidden in Christ. We're forgiven of all sin. He has made a covenant by pouring his blood out for us negating the old covenant where you shall surely die so he surely died in our place covered us with his righteousness he rules us from there and we have a kingdom and it will not be shaken it is unshakable why is it unshakable because god has promised never to shake it it's not going anywhere christianity is the last thing that god does on this earth this is it 
There's not a, the kingdom's going to come in a different way. It's going to be a reinstitution of second Israel. There's going to be, God's going to do something different. No, 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 no. God forbid, gospel, gospel, gospel. If somebody doesn't turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ, repent of their sins, put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ, there's going to come a time when they die, and if they don't trust in Jesus, they'll stand before him naked and ashamed and afraid, purely being judged by the Lamb. And that'll be that. And God calls us to himself. And we have this kingdom that will not be shaken. And this is it. The church. Final plan. He's the king now. He's ruling now. Where is he ruling? He's in heaven. But we're trying to wait for him to get here and rule eventually on earth. No, he's ruling on earth now. And there's a current uh, theology that's called theonomy, reconstructionist theology that's talking about um, if you don't believe that God is reestablishing his kingdom on earth and he's reestablishing all his laws so that the, all the physical governments of the world will come under the laws of God and be ruled by Christ and the Bible, um, that if you don't believe that, then you are believing a defeatist religion. You think... We're, we're doomed to be defeated. And it's like, wow, you, I think you missed the point. His kingdom is not of this earth, but he rules on this earth. And when you snatch somebody from the kingdom of darkness and they're transferred into the kingdom of God's beloved son, we've been redeemed and we have been forgiven of our sins. That is reason for celebration. That is the opposite of being defeated, that's victory in Christ. If we have to wait for the governments of this world to establish the laws of the Bible, I don't, and, and wait for Jesus' physical return to do all these things, that's defeatism because what do we do till then? He is ruling now. And we have a kingdom that cannot be shaken. The church in Hebrews was being severely persecuted They're being oppressed by earthly kingdoms. We, as a church, can be oppressed by earthly kingdoms. Our church in America, Christians have been the majority culture. Christians have been used to using the power of government to attempt to promote good and to decrease evil. But in doing so, we began to depend more and more on political power and therefore coercion rather than the power of the Holy Spirit through the gospel to change lives, or even depending on the coercive power of religion to keep believers in place. So as we begin to trust more and more in government, we have given it way too much power, and we see our leaders in front of all the world, literally. Our leaders in front of all the world. I mean, literally, in front of all the world. Right? I, mean, I don't care where you go in the world. People have smartphones. They can see stuff. And what do they see? Men and women standing before a man in a robe with what in their hands? The Word of God. And what do they get these religious, these <laughs> slip of the tongue? What do they get these government leaders to do? To take their hand and lay it on the Word of God the Bible, the gospel, the one hope for the world. And they raise their right hand where? To God. And they take a vow, not just to man, but to God. 
to protect the Constitution. You know, to insinuating we are one nation under God, and therefore anything those leaders do, they're doing in the name of God. How have we not seen more judgment? And the church votes those people in. And whether or not you believe the election was stolen, and I'm not just talking about this administration, I mean, that's the way we do it. You know when you still go to court, you still, they still pull a Bible out and you still put your hand on the, on the when you're, you're, you're um, they still require that or are you able now to just say, I'd rather have like, you can affirm it without putting your hand on the Bible, but it's still there. You know, the Bible's out there, so you have to make a decision here, but um, it's, it's, a, it's quite a thing to know that. And so as the church, we see this and we start to think church, religion combined, how do I address that? How do I approach that? How do I do this? And so we start to say, I must influence the religion, the, the, the government. I must influence these religious leaders and our religious leaders are these government people. They're not. Neither are scientists. The priesthood of believers. You have a responsibility to be in the word of God. You have a responsibility to vote, not to vote for ungodly leaders who you know when they put the hand on, on the Bible that they're going to flagrantly create laws that are going to violate that very word. No man is perfect. If we have to have the perfect man, that's Jesus. So what are you going to have? You're going to have a sinner put their hands on the Bible and take a vow. So as we are called to participate in this, we need to make sure that when we take the word of God, that we are able to say as much as we are called upon to participate in this increasingly godless country, that we are doing so as the church. Not trying to move the government to change people but to move the holy spirit to move into hearts to preach the gospel to love one another to do what the bible says to do we cannot depend in chariots and horses we are the counterculture you kind of need to get used to that we are the counterculture we were always meant to be the counterculture we've become more political than christian and more concerned about what scientists say than what the Word of God says because we cling to this life, we cling to this world as if it's our only hope, as if our happiness depends on this world, and yet this world will be shaken and removed and therefore don't love what is temporary because you're going to be disappointed. You received a heavenly kingdom which cannot be shaken because God will never shake it. Christianity is the final thing on this earth, the last thing that God is doing, the only hope for the world. Are you concerned about the direction of this country? Be more concerned about the direction of the church. Be more concerned about the direction of sinners going to hell forever. This is to be our concern. And then finally, the proper response to these things is worship 28 and 29 therefore since we've received this and we know these things we're to be grateful full of grace towards these things receiving for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken and thus let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe for our God 
is a consuming fire. He is a consuming fire. Deuteronomy 24.4. Our God is a consuming fire, comma, a jealous God. This consuming fire is a fire of judgment. And when God's fire comes forth, it will consume all dross. It will consume all evil. It will consume all that is not holy and of him. He is a consuming fire. That is the context of the quote that the Jewish Christians would have been very much aware of. And we have to see if we're going to worship God properly, thankfully, reverentially, in awe. It's one of the per reasons we had music play just before we come in. We, we're talking, we're silly, we're having fun. It's great. I'm glad we're in a church where people like each other. And we still have humor. But then we have to kind of say, all right, remember where we are. Remember what we're doing. Let's, let's, let's think about God. Let's think about the gospel. Let's think about all these things. Let's get ourselves into the right thinking. Because when we see the reality of God's holiness, then we can understand his grace. But we do tend to view Christ in only his dimension of grace and mercy. But the Father has given Jesus all authority to execute judgment. That's John 5, 27. He has given the Son all authority to execute judgment. But he's a lamb. He is a lamb of God. He was the sacrifice that was given freely. He gave himself. So Revelation chapter 6, verse 12. When he opened the sixth seal... I looked, and behold, there was a great earthquake, and the sun became black as sackcloth, the full moon became like blood, the stars from the sky fell as a fig tree sheds its winter fruit when shaken by a gale. The sky vanished like a scroll that's being rolled up, and every mountain and island was removed from its place. This is what Hebrews is talking about as it's as it's coming. Then the kings of the earth and the great ones and the generals and the rich and the powerful and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? It's kind of an odd sight. The wrath of a lamb. You know, it's a lamb. What's it going to do to you? Jesus is the lamb. But he will come in wrath. The wrath of the lamb. Jesus Christ had the wrath of God poured out on him for sin, and now he's received all authority, and now his wrath will be poured out on non-believers. So do not refuse him who is speaking. So let's listen to him, Matthew 10, 26. This is where we're closing, Matthew 10, chapter 26. It's the preaching, earthly preaching ministry of Jesus, and he's saying in... Verse 26, it's Matthew 10, verse 26. Um, he's talking about people are persecuting you and things like this. He says, have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. 
What I tell you in the dark, say in the light. What you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops. And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Remember, fear him who can destroy both body and soul in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are numbered. Fear not, therefore, you are of more value than many sparrows. So everyone who acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I also will deny before my Father who is in heaven. Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. Uh oh, the angel said, peace on earth, goodwill toward the man on whom his favor rests. But while the church receives reconciliation between ourselves and God, this is not going to create peace among all people. It should among believers, but it's going to cause problems because God set up enmity between the children of the serpent and the children of, of God. Do not think I've come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword, for I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be those of his own household. Whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it, and whoever loses his life will find it for my sake. And whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. He is a consuming fire. He is a jealous God. He tells us not to refuse him. And one of the ways I think we refuse him or reject him is by looking to other powerful forces to bring about peace. He didn't come to bring peace. If you seek peace and unity at all costs, you will follow Satan because that is what he will give you if that's what you're worshiping. But if you worship Christ, where there is true hope and true peace, his blood speaks, he calls to us, repent of your sin. Come to me, all you who labor and heavy burden, and I'll give you rest for your souls. But if you're so concerned about earthly power, you can't worship two gods. And so we all need to be engaged, but also remember that if you refuse him who is speaking, then you're just trusting in chariots and horses, and we are called to live in a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Let's pray. Father God, we are in your kingdom. Help us not to be afraid. I've talked to many people in this church, other places, other churches. They are afraid. They're afraid for their children's future. They're afraid for this. They're afraid for that. They're angry about this. They're mad about that. Blah, 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 blah. Me too. So, Lord, we pray that you would help us to remember you're in control. You're the king. You're the one. This is all a bunch of shaking. And you look at the kings of the earth and you laugh. Your blood cries out, forgive them, oh, forgive, it cries. Don't let that ransom sinner die. Help us to cling to your cross. Help us to bear our crosses. Help us to love you above all things. Help us to, when we engage in the world in any way, that we do so knowing 
that we carry with us the name of Christ and that we are to speak accordingly but being comforted in the fact that no matter what we see happening around us there is a kingdom over this world that sees too that you protect us your sheep hear you and know your voice and you know them and you protect them no one can snatch us out of your hand so help us to boldly proclaim as we rush the gates of the dead to pull out and speak over to prophesy to dead men's bones so that your spirit brings to life that's our hope that is our primary mission that is where our faith is to be help us God be Christ like in all that we do especially as we live in hope and not fear come what may and we pray this in Christ's name Amen.